0: I guess there's no wrong way to put this around my neck, brother.
1: <coughs> <Okay. Thank>
0: you. <laughs> so I'm under the yoke twice now. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I don't know why I always get up here without a... Okay, next brother. We're gonna to have to feed the box up here. There you <coughs> The knees of sin for me. You take your Bibles and turn to Philippians three, eighteen and nineteen. <coughs> this is a continued study. in the subject of the the cross of Christ. We began this about eight weeks ago, maybe nine since we skipped one with COVID. We've looked at the word of the cross, the death of the cross, the blood of the cross, the purpose of the cross, the triumph of the cross, the offense of the cross, Now, this morning, the most convicting of all the enemies of the cross. I can think of no worse label, yet none more deserved. To be placed on the highest of God's creation than this, enemies of the cross. Philippians 3 and verse 18 says, For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, <coughs> who mind earthly things. Frankie described in pretty good detail this morning, and we had some insights as to just this subject this morning and in those lessons there in Genesis. We were created in his image, according to Genesis 127. We were created for his glory, according to Isaiah 43 and verse 7. And yet we walk as enemies of the cross, willful enemies, religiously searching the scriptures, but foolishly rejecting the Savior. We are through and through unashamed enemies of God. Until he saves us, we shall remain his enemies. As we observe the cross, we see how... We are his enemy. <coughs> Man, from his fall in the garden, has been at war with God. Born in sin, came from the womb speaking lies, a heart deceitful, uh, uh, above all things, and desperately wicked. And the final nail in the coffin, unwilling to come to Him. Isaiah 47 or 43 in verse 7 says, even everyone that is called by my name for I have created him for my glory, I have formed him yea, I have made him, yet we remain his enemy. So man from his fall in the garden has been at war with God. Amen. The very topics that we've looked at in the past concerning the cross that we've been studying for a couple of months now imply this in all their titles. I just mentioned, we talked about the preaching. What's the preaching concern? It preaches against sin. We we mentioned about the death of Christ. What does that have to do with? That has to do with Him dying on the cross and therefore His blood was shed. And we see the purpose of that, and we see the triumph of it, and the all, all those words and uh, descriptions, uh, subject heads imply and lead up to this very one thing we see here this morning: as we being enemies of the cross, there is no fellowship with God until peace is made. No glory in battle till the enemy has been vanquished. One of the lessons in this series on the cross was the purpose of the cross. And one of those purposes was to deliver us from this present evil world. And Christ alone, our prince, won that battle for us. One of my favorite uh, verses in the Old Testament is Isaiah 63. It talks about who is this that cometh from Edom and dyed garments and bows for this who is glorious in his apparel. And the old man can't go any further. Glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I, mighty to save. When we think of Christ on the cross, how inhuman and wicked we ought to be able to see ourselves. Mm -hmm. Acts 2.23 says, Him uh, being delivered by the eternal counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So when we think of the one who died, us and when we think of the one and those for whom he died speaking about you and I sinners how grand and glorious ought he appear to us in this work one of the attributes of God is that he is a God of truth and this is that which gives forth its hope or gives us its hope or gives faith its hope. God will do what He says. Mm-hmm. Abraham staggered not at the promise of God, because he was fully persuaded that what He had promised, that He was able also to perform. Genesis twenty-six and verse three—the very uh, uh, first—or uh, back in Genesis twelve, I guess, the very first uh, giving of this promised seed. But Genesis 26 refers back to that. It was given to Isaac at this time. But it says, "Soldier in this land. And I will be with thee and I will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed will I give all these countries. And I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. God always reminds his people when he does something for them or when he's about to do something for them, I have given you my word. Psalm 119, 106, the psalmist uh, speaking uh, as if he were God, I believe. He says, I have sworn and will perform it, that I will keep thy righteous judgments. Romans 4, 21, we find Abraham there was fully persuaded that what he promised he was able also to do. Philippians 1, 6 uh, tells us that we as God's children are confident that he that hath begun a good work in us will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we have all of those promises in the Word of God. We believe what God says about His Son for sinners, don't we? When Jesus said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, then those of us who have called upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved, and we have been saved. (coughs) He comes into us. So we believe what God says about His Son dying for sinners. He counts it to us. Impute it to us for righteousness, that is the works of Christ. Our lawless ways are forgiven. Our sins are covered. Blessed are we because God, who cannot lie, will not impute our sin to us. Romans 4, 3-8. Oh, what peace it is to be justified by faith. So the attribute that stands out in our minds ought to be and is that what God says He's going to bring to pass. Now as opposers of these truths, we are liars against God. And therefore we are opposing Him. And we are His enemies. Call it what you want. And therefore allied with the devil who is the father of lies. So, sinner, I want you to look at the cross this morning to see what it reveals about you, what it revealed to me about my sins and my ungodliness. Also, what it reveals to us about God. That if you're lost this morning, you might not remain his enemy. The first thing I want us to notice. About the cross is a divine sacrifice that was given there. A divine sacrifice (laughs) is one only that God has designated. The Bible says no other name given whereby we must be saved. So it's the only one that God has designated. It's the only one that God is pleased with. And it's the only one that God accepts. One dead in his sins needs one dying in his sinlessness. As he calls out to him. That's your hope this morning if you're without Christ. You're dead in your sins. There's one who is sinless who arose and lives to intercede for you. And that's the only way that you might be acceptable to a holy God. A divine sacrifice. We see God's love manifested in the sending of His Son to die for those who shall be heirs of salvation. His loving us first. Aren't you glad He did? Enabled us to love Him. We love Him because He first loved us. He expended this love for a definite, infallible purpose. The death of Christ accomplished a definite objective. It wasn't something there that God did, well, let's just just see what happens uh, as a result of this. Maybe some good will come of it, and maybe some won't. No. No. The death of Christ and the sacrifice of God Was uh, uh, accomplished a definite objective. God had a specific purpose in mind. And He also had a particular people to redeem. And God's purpose never fails. The giving of His Son by God was a divine sacrifice, it was the highest exhibit of self denial. I say a sacrifice so above any other that it can only be divine. In Romans 4 and verse 7 and 8, Scripture says there, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is that man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Men have taken financial risks, humanly speaking now. They've made great sacrifice on men that they think to be a good risk. With men who may make them a financial gain, being strong of mind and ingenious uh, in that mind and body. And they have lost everything risking on those kind of men. But God took those who with no natural strength of mind or body and ungodly of character those who are out and out sinners even enemies of His and demonstrated or commended His love to them. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See that contrast there? Romans 1.16 says, uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes it, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the gospel of Christ, uh, is the righteousness of God revealed. In Romans five, in verse six, it says, "Therefore, when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good uh, good man <laughs> would some even dare to die. But God commendeth his love." toward us and though we were sinners yet sinners Christ died for us excuse me in 1 John chapter 4 in verse 7 it says beloved let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In Second Corinthians five, seventeen. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. In all these verses, we see a contrast of what God did for those who were not worthy of it, yet he died for us just the same. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. See, we're speaking about the divine sacrifice. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Speaking of the preachers. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did seat you, beseech you by us, as we pray you in God's Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. So there we see the divine sacrifice. I want us next to look and think about the divine holiness. We, we see that when we look at the cross, we must see that divine sacrifice if we're ever to be saved. And when we look at the cross, we must, we must take note also of His divine holiness. This was the God-man who dwelt on the cross. Right. The sacrifice's need shows the greatness of our sin. Why would such a, a perfect Son of God Why would it be necessary for him to die? Because our sin was so great. That no other course or recourse could be taken. So as the greatness of sin was seen there at the cross, the greater need for God to show his holiness. And it wasn't a risk that he was taking as if, "I, I don't know what's going to happen here because he was well able to accomplish what he had set out to do. You've often heard it said, and and, uh, uh, believe it to be so, God's ways are above ours. We all all believe that. Mm -hmm. And so on the cross, we see his holiness displayed. That's his way. Though to us, it's a mysterious way. As enemies of God, we're all that he's not. We're unholy, and He's holy. Our nature must be changed so that we may be made all that He is that is holy. You know, the, if I would take a consensus of those who never profess Christ and have some religion, in other words, they, they, have, they attend church, maybe they attend church regularly. Maybe there's those out there I know that read their Bibles a lot. I had a neighbor uh, uh, years ago who who uh, probably could quote more Bible than I could, but he never set his foot in the door of a church. And to these people, they have a sense, although it's certainly not according to Scripture, that somehow God is going to accept them. In other words, that there is some holiness about them. My friend, if you have any thoughts like that today, let me tell you plainly and, and without any hesitation that I may be wrong, that there is nothing in us right. that God sees and that God likes. The Bible says we were dead in our sins. <coughs> you see, we had an activity, but it was a deadly activity because we were in a sphere of death. So our nature has to be changed. that We may be all that He is. And that is holy. And the cross is the ground of that change. You see, the cross puts the spotlight on all of our sin. But the greater light was God's holiness revealed to us in a mysterious way. You know, when Christ was on the cross, uh, and many said there, you know, he said they said that this this must be the Christ. They knew there was something different in this man. There was a light about him, even on that dark day. It's the holiness of God. You remember Moses went into the temple and he was in the presence, or up on the mountain. He was on the mountain for forty days and forty nights in the presence of God in a cloud. When he came down, his face shone. That's the holiness of God that rubbed off on him, so to speak. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 1 and verse 1 through 3 that there are seraphims who stand above his throne and they constantly cry out to God. The vision of Isaiah, this, this is what Isaiah saw, the son of Amos, when he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O word, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his only ass, his master's crib, but Israel doth not know my people, doth not considered. Ah, oh, sinful nation. You see, we're talking about the enemies of the cross. A seed of evildoers. How is it that we're enemies? Well, we came out of our mother's womb speaking lies. So we're a seed of evildoers. Corrupters. We've forsaken the Lord. Provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger and we're going away backward. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. You want a picture of yourself? It's right there. From the sole of the foot and the head, there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed up, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. That's our condition Without Christ. We're an enemy. Of the Lord. It's God's holiness. Transferred to us through Christ. That puts an end to our sin. He was so holy that he could not bear to look on his son. With our sin upon him. And he turned his head. and and, And Christ said my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? The reason he forsook him is because he saw the sin of you and me, on His blessed Son. Scripture has well illustrated that it was a love of God that offered His Son that awful cup. We read that everywhere. Every Old Testament story. Somewhere in that, we, we know that Christ had to die that we might be saved. It was the holiness of God that could not let it pass from Him. The purpose of the cross was to atone for sin and to put it away. In Matthew chapter 3, I must read a few verses that we might understand what a holy God we have. Matthew chapter 26 verse 36 Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. And saith unto the disciples, Set ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. We're familiar with this uh, Gethsemane scene. And then he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. He came and found him asleep again, for the eyes were heavy. And he left him and went away. Again, prayed the third time, saying the same word. The purpose of the cross was to atone for sin, was to put it away. He said that he removed our sins as far from the east as from, as from the west. And so to glory in our sin with no shame for that is to despise the holiness of God and declare ourselves his enemy. Every act that we take in our life outside of saving grace is an act of war against God. So we need to strive to present our bodies a, a holy living sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, except the one of God, which is reasonable service. If your mindset this day is, I know Jesus died for sinners, I don't know too many people today that, somewhere or another, especially our age in their younger upbringing, when people were still going to church, they don't know that story. Many people that I visit just, I, I know Christ died for sinners. Well, it's one thing to know that Christ died for sinners. It's another thing to know that Christ died for you.
1: Right.
0: Because if you don't know that Christ died for you, then you, you're yet in your sins, and you remain content in that present state of unbelief. And in fact what you are is a religious snob. That's what I was. So you're in fact what you're saying by that remaining where you're at, my sin is greater than his holy name. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy that more. I'm gonna I'm gonna worship that. More than his knowing holding. it's our darling, so to speak, that we're glorying in. Mm-hmm. Charnock, and I don't know that much about him, I don't know his whole theology, and he was an English Presbyterian preacher back in the 1600s, wrote, "Power is God's hand or arm. Omniscience is his eye. Mercy his bows. Eternity his duration. But holiness is beauty. Our prayers will not be received lest we lift up holy hands. He says in 1 Timothy 2, I will therefore that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and downing." How can we approach a holy God? Unless we disassociate ourselves from the ways of Of this world. And cleanse ourselves. The work of Christ on the cross. Is a believer's memorial. Reminding him that God's holiness reigns triumphant. Once and finally. Over all that's unholy in our lives. (coughs) Further the cross reveals his divine riches. The conquering prince. Acquires greater freedom. Sustainability and prosperity. (coughs) I'm speaking about. The old princes of old when they waged war. Every territory that they conquered gave them greater freedom. They had more, more territory. Greater sustainability. Greater prosperity. But you know, we put far too much emphasis on earthly possessions, don't we? You know the parable of the greater barn builder? That was Christ's instruction to us to cause us to realize what is truly valuable. We put a whole lot of emphasis on things of this world. I, it, it's it's sickening. And it's even more sickening when I realize I'm guilty of it as well. Worried about the house and worried about this and... and uh, I just, you know, i got to get more security and i got to make sure things are, are all right. I, I've been faced here lately, uh, this 80 years of old, trying to get uh, leave some things and get my, uh, get my funeral paid for and all those final things. I told my, my wife, I said, I think I need to do what my first wife said she was going to do when she died. Just stick me in a box, a pine box, and stick me in the ground. And if she'd have got by with that, she would have. We put too much emphasis on the things of this world. Mm-hmm. You see, earthly goods might cheer our heart in this life, but they have no bearing in the afterlife. There in Luke 12, 13, Jesus uh, pressed forward this truth. And one of the company said, to him, Master, speak to my brother that he divides inheritance with me, concerned about the world. That, that that there's no wealth here in this world, my friend. You're not going to take it with you. You know a lot of these uh, idolatrous countries. They'll uh, they'll leave things at burial sites to eat food and all that kind of things. Uh, they found in the old Egyptian uh, uh, tombs in there. They 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 leave things in there for the for the de- for the new world and all. Foolish a ridiculous uh, wasted time about the things of the world and having things and riches as if we're going to transfer what we have in this life to the other life. He said, speaking of this man who made made my brother he divided the hairs with me and he said, who made the uh, judge or a divider? And he said, and them take heed and bear of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. We ought to be concerned about the things of God. And he spake a peril of them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my barn, or fruits? He said, This will I do. I'll pull down my barn, build greater. There will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. I'll say to my soul, Soul, what Thou hast much goods laid up for many years, take thine ease, eat and drink merry and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool. Now, I don't tell you, I don't I don't call you a fool, but I'm telling you right now, if you have if your emphasis is on what you can have in this world, and that's all that you're concerned about. Now there's nothing wrong with being wealthy, but if God is left out of the picture, there's the problem. God said, this, my, Thou fool this night, thy soul shall be required of thee. then whose things uh, be which thou hast provided. Our earthly goods, they might cheer us and our heart in this life, but they had no bearing on the afterlife. You remember the rich man that died that the beggar laid at his, his, his feet and begged in, 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 this, in this life, when that rich man died, what did his wealth do for him? He couldn't even purchase a drink of water. He couldn't even purchase a drop of water. That's how much your, our wealth will be to us if that's all you're concerned about. We're prone to think that our heavenly wealth in terms of mansions even save people now. We think about our, you know, Lord said, I I go to prepare a mansion for you. And even as God's people, we're prone to think of all those things in heaven. Mansions, a cattle on a thousand hill. Those things will be ours. Because he told us what's his is ours. But the greatest wealth, my friend, is that we might be partakers of His nature. Of His nature. That's the wealth. The blood of Christ is open to every believer, a treasure house of unsearchable riches. And it's revealed to us a a life, a spiritual life, that no earthly life, no matter how plush it is, can compare. And finally, the cross of Christ offers a divine ultimatum. If you would remain an enemy of Christ and of his cross, if your final and constant answer to God is no, be aware that one day he'll have the final word.
1: Right.
0: And that word will be, depart from me. He cursed it into everlasting destruction. The Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. God's condition for peace in his kingdom was the death of his son at Calvary. Continue to reject what he did, and you'll remain an enemy of the cross, and your end will be destruction. The penalty is death. For no traitor to a conquering, setting king shall live. When they when they when they took a territory, when they when they when they when the land became their kingdom, you either, you either announce your allegiance to that king or you died. My friend, that's the way it is with the Lord. He will be king. He is king. The soul that sinneth shall surely dry. May God bless his word.
1: appreciate the message and the messenger and i don't know what word to use to describe it but as paul said that they're that they are the enemies of the cross of christ it's uh, it's interesting that we all come into this world naturally is an enemy of the cross. And the only thing that's going to make you not an enemy is to be reconciled through the death of Jesus on the cross. And there's only one thing that can do that, and that is the power of God through the preaching of the gospel. That's it. That's the only thing that's going to make an individual not an enemy of the cross is that if God reconciles them to His Son or to Himself through His Son through His death, burial, and resurrection. And that's why we read that verse or is read to us. That's why He's committed unto those of us who are saved the ministry of reconciliation. That's why we are ambassadors of Christ, beseeching others in Christ's stead. An ambassador is a representative that someone has sent to conduct their business on their behalf. So all your neighbors, all your family, all your friends, your current co-workers, your past co-workers, your doctor or doctors, you have been sent by King Jesus with a ministry of reconciliation to beseech them to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Because right now, they're an enemy of Christ if they're lost. They're his enemy. And isn't he a wonderful savior? And that he goes and seeks to save those who are his enemies and rebels. As it was read there, he doesn't seek to save righteous people, he goes after his enemies. That's not normal, is it? But it is, certainly is divine. We, we have a hard time enough talking to our friends about Christ, let alone going to our arch nemesis and talking to them about the Lord. But that's what God did. And He saves His enemies. And He takes those who were once enemies, like Saul of Tarsus, and He turns them, and they become some of the greatest enemies Proclaimers of the cross. And Paul said that his life was a pattern. So if you've been reconciled to God through Christ, the pattern is you were an enemy, now you've been reconciled, now you're to proclaim the cross unto others. Because you're not an enemy anymore. Hear a lot on the radio and different things of people, and it's usually in this this modern Christian music world. Oh, so and so he was the lead singer, or the drummer, or the guitar, or whatever. Uh, he's he's renounced his his belief in Christ. Well, he never had it, did he? Amen. He's always been an enemy. See, religion isn't going to make you saved. Only the work of Christ at Calvary. And that's what we heard today. I pray, Lord, if you're lost, that He'll save you, that He'll draw you unto Him through Calvary. You won't be an enemy anymore. Because I assure you, based on the authority of God's Word, That those who trod over Christ that it will not go unnoticed and unpunished. So we pray that you would come unto Christ and be saved. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll have a brief intermission to stretch your legs. Maybe get a drink or use the restroom and then we'll start back up uh, right at the top of the hour. So let's have a, a word of prayer.